Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. We continue our series on the book of Job, the question of the ages, why? And we started a study on the test of integrity. So let's read our text and then we'll review and pick up where we left off. Job chapter 2, verse 1. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And so God repeats that, to the devil that Job is blameless, upright, fears God, and shuns evil. But he adds this new quality of character, integrity. In addition, the Lord points out the fact that Job still maintains that integrity despite the tragedies he has endured. And for the sake of review, our first point was for integrity to be proven, it must be tested. God wants us to be men and women of integrity. That is who we are to be as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I had a friend that was, uh, while he was in college, worked for a company that was parking cars. And this owner of the company was a Mormon, and my friend was a Christian in Bible school. And so he was always trying to witness to him, talk to him about the Lord, and, and had developed a relationship. And finally, he's, he really had the upper hand theologically, my friend did. But in frustration, the owner of the company said, I'll tell you why. I'm not going to follow your way. He said, I could take 10 Mormon guys from my ward, and they would, they would serve me and never steal tips with me. But if I took 10 guys from your, Bible, but from your Bible school, half of them would steal tips from me. And my friend felt like that that was probably true. And so how sad. What a testimony. What a terrible testimony. So integrity is our testimony. We are men and women of integrity. So we're gonna, if, that's, if it's that important to God, we better figure out what it means. Well, it means completeness, fullness, innocence, simplicity, that which is ethically sound. It's that quality or state of being complete, and it's an unbroken condition when it comes to honesty and truthfulness. It means wholeness, the quality or state of be, having sound moral principles, Uprightness, honesty, and sincerity. All of those things. Now, maintain, remember Job maintained his integrity in spite of losing everything. Can you imagine losing everything, even your own children, and still having your integrity? That word maintain means to strengthen, to prevail, to harden, to be strong, to be courageous, to be firm, to be resolute. Integrity is something we have to hold on to, especially in difficult times. Number two, the true test of integrity is not when it benefits you to have it, but when it, but it costs you to keep it. So that's the real test. 
And integrity should benefit us. There was a day, there really was a day when people would agree on a handshake. Now you need so many documents and that doesn't even work. I mean, I hear about these professional athletes that sign a contract and then somebody else is making more money so they, they hold out for more money, they break their contract. So much for that, you, can't, you can have a team of attorneys and it still doesn't matter. But there was a day when our word was our bond. That should still be the day in the church. This is how we would stand out from the rest of the world. If we were truthful, if we were honest, if we are men and women of integrity, that alone, they would know something's different. If you're always truthful, you were even, especially when it costs you to tell the truth. That's what integrity is all about. And letter A, the fact that Job had not lost his integrity, though he had lost everything else, is the evidence of true integrity. See, we, don't, we can say we're men and women of integrity, but we'll really know if we are when the heat comes, when the pressure's on. In fact, when it would, re, it would benefit us to give up our integrity, that's when the test is really there. Or if there's pressure to give up our integrity. So this is all about Job's integrity now. And not only is it tested by God, it's tested by Satan and his actions, but it's also going to be tested by Job's wife, which is an interesting, in, interesting relation of marriage that we're going, to, we're going to delve into when we get there. So that's, that's kind of where we left off, so let's pick up from there. God says to Satan, you incited me against Job. Now, let's look at that word letter B, incite. It's kuth in the Hebrew. It means to entice, to mislead, to allure, to instigate. Now, this, this is interesting. Why would God say the devil incited God to do something? Well, let's, let's dig a little deeper into that. First of all, when King Saul was pursuing David to kill him, David said these words in, second, in 1 Samuel 26, 17. Saul, see, Saul was trying to kill David all the time. David had done nothing wrong. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? Calls him my son when he's trying to kill him. <laughs> David replies, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? Speaking in the third person there. What have I done and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let the Lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. In other words, David's saying, if you're pursuing me because God told you to, I'll accept it. I'll receive whatever comes from the Lord. If I've done something wrong and I deserve this, this punishment, I'll receive it. And so David was, he was willing to accept the possibility that God had incited Saul to, to pursue him and punish him. And I will tell you this. David needed those years in the wilderness. Just like Joseph needed those years in prison. These were great men of God, but they needed hardship. They needed difficulty so they could grow into greater maturity and greater integrity. We, we see Joseph kind of being a braggart when he starts off. Gets the coat of many colors, and he's daddy's favorite. He has dreams and tells his brothers, guess what, guys? You're going to bow down to me. Yeah, that's, that's any brother is going to say, yeah, I'll bow down to you, all right, you know. And so Joseph's just kind of 
kind of out there and, and a little bit braggart. God needed to humble that man before he could make him second in charge of all of Egypt. And so even David, he needed to be tested in the wilderness. His integrity needed to be tested. So, can Satan really incite God against people? I mean, that's what it seems to say there. How do you feel about that? God saying that, talking to the devil, you incited me against Job. What do you think? Well, not without God's um, going along with it. I mean, God held back his hand when all of these things befell Job. You're, you're exactly right. God set limits. And, and we have to understand here. Remember, who has the upper hand here is God. And God is playing Satan. I mean, it's pretty masterful what God is doing here. But you're right. God knows what's going on. He's absolutely in control. He set those limits. But he's also holding the devil accountable. He's saying, you're the one that started all of this. You, you, you started this, this uh, contest about attacking Job's wealth and his health and his children. So... How, how does, if God does, if Satan can incite God against people, how so and for what purpose? What is the devil trying to accomplish in those instances? What's that? He's trying to usurp his authority, yes? Yes? Okay, it's a test with good versus evil. Excellent. It's, that is the test Right here and right now. Any other thoughts on on God, uh, Satan inciting God to do something? Yes. Well, God is the ultimate judge, and Satan is the accuser. So, if Satan has grounds to accuse, you know, God has to allow because He's the ultimate justice. So, if there is, um, you know, room for Him to judge, then then the accuser has like if Job has. Very good point. Satan is the accuser. And you're going to see in the book of Job, this is like a court case. You know, it's, it's not like the recent one we saw in the news with Johnny, what's his name? But much different, much less salacious. But, uh, but this is like a court case. And so God's, okay, you're bringing charges. I'm going to give you room to prove your case. Because remember, Satan said... If you take away his wealth and his kids, he'll curse you. He did it. Didn't happen. Then he raises the ante and says, yeah, but if you took away his health, then he would curse you. So God's like, okay, that's your accusation. Let's see it played out. And so it's for our benefit to see how this thing is being played out. And there are times that the devil accuses you and me before God. That's what it says in Revelation. He accuses the brethren day and night before the throne. And so, guess what? We've been on that. We've been in that court case ourselves. The devil has accused us. And God has said, very well, we'll allow certain things to happen in James's life. And we'll see if you're right, devil. And of course, God knows. And I'm, I'm going to end with that. There's a very key point about all of this that God knows how we will respond before we respond.
Any other thoughts on this being incited? Yes. To hang himself. Very good. Also, I mean, the devil is just dying for an opportunity to say, ha, wrong God, I was right, you were wrong, ha, ha, and dance around when, as you said, God already knows, you know. And hasn't this been the case from the beginning? Satan said, I will be like God. I will be greater than God. And so he's trying it again. He's trying, I mean, he's a fallen angel trying to match wits with an almighty God. The devil is not the equal to God. He is a created being. He's, it's not yin and yang. It's not equal powers. There's an almighty God that's far greater than Satan. Now, can, can Satan incite us to do wrong? Can he do that? Can he? Sure he can. Let's, let's test people's age here. How many remember Flip Wilson? Well, there's pretty good. But can you remember his catchphrase? The devil made me do it. Some of you are going to have to watch Nickelodeon or something or get on YouTube and watch Flip Wilson. It was a variety show in the 70s? Yeah, it was in the 70s. But he used to say, the devil made me do it. Now... It's true the devil can incite us, but can he really make us sin? No, sin is always our responsibility, our choice. And so, I'm sorry, Flip Wilson, it's, but isn't it true people, may, they may not blame the devil, but they blame a lot of other people, right? They may blame their spouse, they may blame their kids, they may blame their parents and how they were raised. I've got news for you. Once you become an adult, you're responsible for you. That's what a bar mitzvah is all about. It means son of the law. And at the age of 13, is it 13 or 12? 13. They have this party, and basically they're telling this young Jewish man, you're, you're on your own. For, you're, you're responsible for yourself. You're now a son of the law. I wish we had something in Christianity that was a, a coming-of-age ceremony. I, I've done a few uh, quinceañeras in my time. And I love that ceremony. It's so powerful and spiritual and so expensive for the parents. Uh, so we didn't have one uh, or two. But I wish there was a rite of passage in Christianity for, for young men and young women to know that now you are responsible for your actions because you are old enough. And some assume that that's the age of accountability is at age 13. Uh, and so we are, even the devil, the devil can incite us, but we don't have to do it. Yes? Excellent. Yes. It's one of those things that we just, it, it, it makes my hair on my neck stand when I think about it. Yeah. He, he hates us with a passion. And it's, and it's due to jealousy, envy, and the like, because you're, you're right, Ike. We are made in the image of God. And, and he sees that. He, and he's not. He's not made in the image of God, of course. 
and he loathes humanity, wants to destroy humanity because he hates humanity because he hates God. And he knows that God loves humanity. God so loved the world. Right. Yeah, there's no, there's, uh, somebody asked me one time, I even thought it when I was a kid, what if the devil repents? I mean, can the devil get saved? Uh, there's no hope, no. There, it, won't never, it won't ever happen. And he, he's finished. It is finished. Very good. And he is finished. And, and you're right that he is aware of his destiny and he's going to try to, and you would think somebody, if they're so aware that this is going to be your end, you think you would change, you'd turn, change your course, but he's not, of course. And he knows that he's bound for eternity uh, and that, that that day is coming. And even the fallen angels, remember they told Jesus, don't send us into the pit. You know, it's not the end of time. So even they are aware of their destiny. And so their, their goal is to destroy humanity. Take his, hell was made for Satan and his angels. That's originally the purpose of hell. It's been expanded because of so many, so many wicked people. But Satan will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Now, we, it is true. Satan can incite us. Look at 1 Chronicles 21, verse first uh, one, I think that is. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. This is where David messed up. One of a few times he messed up. But, but one, and now this is interesting because it wasn't a sin to take a census. It was why David did it. It was pride. Counting the fighting men was, made him feel proud. And so the devil incited, same Hebrew word, enticed David to, make, to do this sin. So in the case of Job, once again, we got to realize God is playing Satan, not the other way around. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He knows what's going on. And though Satan challenged and incited God to allow harm to come to Job, God is running this show, this court case, and Satan will once again be played for the fool. And though God gave permission to Satan to touch Job's possessions, God still holds Satan accountable for it. And... Though God has given us free will, he even knows that at times we will abuse it. But he will still hold us accountable for it. You, you can't have salvation without a free will. Now those that, that are more Calvinist, would, a, a strict Calvinist would say you were destined to be saved. You had no free will whatsoever. And they follow the belief of the tulip, total depravity, unlimited uh, unlimited something, tulip, it's tulip, unconditional surrender. L is limited atonement, which means Jesus only died for the elect, not for the whole world. But again, we're more, as Assemblies of God, if you wanted to know, we're more Arminian. We believe in free will. We, do, we still believe in the sovereignty of God, but humanity has free will within their own scope, and we're gonna be held, what a gift, free will. We can choose what we're going to do, right or wrong. But with any gift comes the responsibility. We'll be held responsible for those cho choices we make. And one of the great theologians, didn't he say, uh, save the elect and elect more? Save the elect and elect more? Yeah, that's good. 
And, and the reality is God does know everyone who's going to be saved, but we don't. And we are responsible to share that with everyone. So Job, we see it again that Job did not deserve what he suffered. Is it easier to accept suffering that you deserve or suffering you don't deserve? What do you think? What's, what's easier, what easier suffering is to accept? Suffering you deserved? What, what, who thinks the otherwise? Suffering that you, you didn't deserve? Sometimes, it it kind of depends on how we respond to it because sometimes if we're, if we're suffering for our own actions, we may, we may be really mad at ourselves. I could have prevented this. So, but if we're, if we're suffering for no reason, I almost feel like if, if I'm suffering for no reason, no reason, I can trust God. You know, it may, I may not know the reason, but he does. And, and for me, it's almost easier to suffer for what I don't deserve than to suffer for what I deserve because I'm mad at my stinking self, you know. I got myself in this own predicament. But either, either one, that's not a, a right or wrong answer. But think about it. Is it easier to, to accept suffering when you know you don't deserve it? Because you know God has a purpose. That might be one of the times when you question why. Yes. Why I d- am I made to suffer, whereas when you ask that question and you did deserve it, you go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> or we may try to negotiate. Well, it really wasn't that bad. But, but I, I think when... Here's, here's the whole point of the study of Job, the question why. But here's what God knows that we don't. That won't satisfy if we got the answer. If we asked, God, why am I suffering? And he tells us, that may not be good enough. Because he may say, uh, you're suffering for this other person so that they'll come to Jesus someday. Well, I don't know if that's good enough for me. <laughs> you know. So we want the answer, but the answer will not always satisfy. And that's the whole point of the book of Job. Job asks the question over and over again. And in the end, God does not even answer him. And yet Job gets it. And so sometimes it may be, if we're suffering and we don't know why, maybe that's a time where we can really surrender to God and just say, you know, Lord, I don't, I don't know the answer, but I know you're good and you do all things well. And, and you discipline those you love. And if I'm suffering just because of discipline for something I've done wrong or, or something I need to mature in, then I'm willing to receive it. And so we're so desperate, that three-letter word, why? We're so desperate to find out. But it, the answer to your suffering may not satisfy. You may not think it's a big enough deal. I, well, why am I suffering for that? And, and, and yet God may have a much greater plan that we're unaware of. Ronnie, what are you going to say something? Right. That's, that's the irony. On the flip side, we don't deserve anything good. Yes. Yeah. Right. What matters is that 
Yes. Amen. So we don't, sometimes we don't deserve our suffering. But on the other hand, most of the time we don't deserve our blessings or his grace. And so, and those far outweigh the suffering. And that's what I want us to realize. Sometimes when we study Job, we get so myopic and we think that, the, that life is, is miserable. The, the majority of life is good because of God. Yes. True. Yeah, and, and God is good about doing that <laughs> if we need it. But, but there's even times where we deserve suffering and we ask God for grace and he gives it to us. So sometimes he removes our suffering when we don't deserve it. And so we can always ask, Lord, you know, I know I deserve this suffering, but I'm asking for your grace. And it's, uh, it's up to him. And just to get it, when, when you suffer, God is grieved. He cares. Think of his son. God watched his son die. Be beaten, cursed, and spit upon. I mean, if that were my son and I had the power, I would rise up and nuke them right where they stood. You know, that's why I'm not God. And because none of us make it to heaven, <laughs> including me. But, uh, but can you imagine what God experienced to watch his son die? Undeservedly. Because that's how much God loves the world. That's how much he loves you and me. That he would let his son, who did not deserve such suffering, die in our place. Wow. And I, and I think... Part of our struggle is we do not realize how much God loves us. I like what you said, Ike. We, we do not realize, as much as Satan hates us, how much God loves us. Yes, he cre- that's why he made the world was for us. That's why he created humanity. I remember Leonard Ravenhill said this. God did not create people to love him. God created people to love. In other words... It's not just that God wants us to love him. That's a true statement. He does. But the real reason we're, is because God was looking for someone to love. He has all this love that he wants to pour out on us. And, and I, I, want, I want us to grasp that in, in, in Romans 8 where how, how high and how wide is his love for us. If we could just grasp this. I'm telling you, the love of God, if you believed it, if you believed it with all your heart, it would radically change your life. It would radically change, because I have to admit, sometimes I feel unlovable by God. And going off of that, and, and how, how much you know, God was holding back as he watched his son suffer all of this pain and torture and everything, how must God had suffered yeah. to know I could put a stop to this, how much he loved us to suffer that. Yes, this is so powerful. Sometimes suffering is evidence of God's love. Long suffering, yes. And, and I'll tell you, 
As a parent of four children, I thought it would get easier the older they got. It's, it's harder now that they're adults because when I were kids, I could control them. You know what? If they wouldn't do what I'd say, well, there would be consequences, bless God. But now they're adults, and I tell them to do stuff, and they don't listen to me. And it, it frustrates me because I want, I'm trying to get them to avoid my mistakes so they won't suffer like I have for my mistakes. And yet sometimes the only way we'll learn is to suffer for our mistakes. And if we love our children, especially as teenagers and adults, there are times we will let them suffer. Very good. I've never known greater love or greater pain than from my children. And I'm sure I was the same way to my dad, huh, Pop? <laughs> but there is no greater pain that you can receive than from your own children, and God's the same. And, and so marriage was given so we'll understand our relationship with the Lord Jesus. But children were given so we'll understand God's love and how much it hurts. And I've had to learn that there are times where I say, God, thank you for this experience because now I know how you must feel when I grieve your heart, when I sin against you. You know, when you have children, you understand that dynamic of how God responds to us and, and how, how our sin hurts him. He created us to love him and he has so much love Right. Et cetera, et cetera. That's good. And the point is, is God is love. It's interesting, a lot of the characteristics of God, you know, God is merciful, God is kind. God is love. It's the definition of love. And it's agape love, as you know, in the Greek. But that love cannot come from us. We can, we can love with phileo love, which is brotherly love, eros love, which is sexual love. There are five words for love in the Greek, three used in the New Testament. But the fact is, love cannot come from us. That kind of love, it can only come from God. And you're right, Ron, that we can only receive that love for God. In fact, you are only able to love others as much as you're willing to receive God's love. I, I run into too many Christians who do not believe God loves them because of their own shame and their own guilt. But the reality, and, and it affects their relationships because you can't love someone else unless you're willing to receive God's love for you. I know you don't deserve it. That's the whole point of it. God just wants you to swim in it, dive in it, just love it. Just, and when he, when he speaks of God's love, it's always about this overflowing, it's abundant, there's, there's no limits to it. And you're exactly right. We cannot love others unless we receive God's love for us first. God's, that kind of love only comes from God. And if we bask in the love of God, we will find it much easier to love others. But we, but we give God's love to others. And if, if they receive it in the right way, they'll say, wow, I don't know what that guy's got, but I want some of it. Very good. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes, and, and the, the excellent point. And Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. And so the, it, that is a, a challenge to the church. This is to be the most loving place on the planet. And if we can't love each other, and in 1 John it says, if we can't love our brother who we can see, then we can't love God who we cannot see. And that encompasses the fullness of love, not just the soft, squishy part of love, but the tough love. Sometimes tough love, God loves us with tough love, we gotta love one another with tough love, but it's gotta be real love. Uh, and that's our best witness. And unfortunately, Christianity has not always loved one another. But certainly, in, this, in the same vein, Christianity gets a bad rap you know, people look at, you know, like the religious wars. I'm, I'm here to tell you those, many of those things that took place in the Middle Ages were not Christian. They weren't sanctioned by God, the Crusades and things like that. That, that wasn't sanctioned by God just because people did it in God's name. But the reality is Christianity has saved the world. Hospitals were started by Christians. Orphanages were started by Christians. So the church gets a bad rap. I know, I know we have our weaknesses, but I'm here to tell you that if it weren't for the church, the world wouldn't exist. And so we, we've got to also say that you know, the church has been really good about loving the lost and loving one another. Not perfect, and it's still a challenge. So we know there's a purpose in undeserved suffering. We talked a little bit about this last week, 2 Corinthians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You wouldn't know what it's like to have God's love overflow you if you didn't know what it was like to suffer. So we have the sufferings of Christ so we'll know and appreciate the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. God may not cause our troubles, but he comforts us in them so that we can be a comfort of others. I've seen this played out in my own life. I've shared with you before when my 17-year-old brother was killed in a car accident. Um, as a pastor, every funeral, I understand. Especially when I do teenagers' funerals or child, a funeral for a child. Those are very, very hard. And I, I remember one time I was doing a funeral and, for a young man in his 20s. I won't go into the whole story. It was pretty one of the most difficult funerals I've ever done. The whole series was so difficult from start to finish. Even in the funeral itself, the tension was so thick and I had the mortician come up to me and say, you gotta calm this thing down. And, uh, and I did the best I could, but the friend of the young man who died was angry at me. From the very beginning, as soon as I was introduced to him, he was so angry. He wanted nothing to do with me. And I, I mean, it was so obvious. I was like, man, what did I do to this guy? I've never met this guy in my life. 
And so I didn't know what to say because there was so much tension and this funeral was so difficult. And I just had really sought the Lord. And so what I said is, you know, no one understands really what you're going through unless you've been through it. But I'm here to tell you, I, and I said to his father, I know a father who lost a son. His name is God. I said to the brothers, I know what it's like to lose a brother. I've lost one myself. And I said, but those who have not experienced this loss do not understand. It was just a kind of a sidebar comment. At the graveside, that same young man came up to me and apologized. And he said that, because I had honestly said, I didn't know this young man, uh, so I'm going to speak to those that are here. He's, it turns out when he was a kid, a very close relative of his died, and the pastor went up there acting like he knew the person and didn't. And as a, as a child, he took great offense to that phoniness, to that hypocrisy. And he carried that for 15 years and poured it out on me. <laughs> but he was a different person because I understood. I understand. And I know that, though I'm not saying that's the reason my brother died. I won't know that reason till heaven. But I will tell you, at my brother's funeral, it was packed. And people gave their hearts to the Lord, and it, it changed. And so there, there, we may not understand why, but there was good that came out of it anyway. And, you know, if, anything, if nothing else, it made me a better pastor because I understand what loss is like. And so God will take your suffering and use it for his glory if we let him. You got to let God comfort you. You got to let him heal. And sometimes that's hard because we feel God's responsible, just like Job. Job felt God was responsible for his loss. And so what's important for us is to, if we suffer, to allow God's comfort to overflow into our lives, to heal us so that we can overflow into other people's lives with comfort as well. And that's how the church heals each other and carries each other's burdens, is it takes those, and it's truly, it's true, those of you who have been through unique experiences, some of you have experienced the pain of divorce, some of you experienced the pain of losing a child, some of you have been through a tragedy. I want you to understand, you may not know the reason or have the answer behind it, but if you will press into God, his comfort will overflow in your life, and you'll be able to minister to others in the same way way because how many of you know that if you're going to have a doctor do surgery you don't want to be the first surgery he's ever done <laughs> even all the rest were on dead people cadavers you want a surgeon that experiences even better that understands it himself or herself in the same way you want someone to minister to you who understands what you're going through now, we can all minister to one another, but, but it becomes very powerful when someone knows what you're feeling. There's just something like, something powerful about somebody being able to identify with your suffering. And especially if that person has healed. Now, sometimes it's, it's, if someone's still suffering, it won't bring healing. It'll just bring more grief and misery. But you really need to be, be healed and receive healing from someone who has.
So number three, one purpose of suffering is to learn patient endurance. That's the purpose. Now we're looking for some grandiose reason. For some of us, it's just so we can learn to endure. When I would start out track season, I was a sprinter. I was a pole vaulter, a triple jumper, long jump. I didn't do anything over 100 meters was beyond my range. I hated long distance running. Some of you, they're long distance running. I'm sorry, but there's something wrong with you. Because, I mean, who wants to do that? There's a lady in my church in Ojai. She said, oh, I love long distance running because I can, I can, when I run, I can think. And I'm thinking. I said, when I run long distance, all I can think is, what am I doing to myself? When is this going to be over? And so, but we would have to run all these long distances. And I'm like, remember, I'm a sprinter. I don't run these long distances. I just hated it. But all, you know what the purpose was? Endurance. And so I had to do a lot of things I did not like. Run. I had to run races I didn't even compete in so I could learn to endure. And some of the things God is bringing us through is just to make us know how to endure. And not just endure, but endure patiently. I don't like those words separately, little, especially together. I can, or I can endure with gritted teeth and hurry up, God, get this over with. You know, but to endure patiently is a whole nother experience. And so patient endurance will be needed in the end times. Look at Revelation 14.9. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with the burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name, we need to really be paying attention to this these days. Verse 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And so Satan lost the first challenge, so he thinks he can win the second challenge. In Satan's mind, God, Job, could always have more children and regain his wealth but losing his health would be very personal. And so Job had already suffered unimaginable loss, but now it's gonna get real personal. And Satan is out to prove Job's integrity is conditional. His love is conditional upon God's favor. And so number four, Satan is out to prove that our integrity is based solely upon the good things God does to That's the accusation, that's the test, that's the attack. He's trying to find out the same, he's stupid, doesn't get it, but he's still attacking us with the same thing. Is your integrity conditional? Is your love for God conditional? If, you know, if things don't go your way, let's, let's say you, you lose a job or you may lose someone close to you, is, is that gonna be too much for us? Because Satan is trying to find our price. And he just keeps raising it and raising it. He's trying to find our price. And so God says, 
Once again, God sets limits. You can touch his body, but you can't kill him. And so Satan is free to take Job's health, which he does, as we're going to see next week. God is the author of life, and only he can take the life. This is something we need to be aware of today with the pro-life message. God is the author of life, no matter how that life was conceived. And, and we, we need to stand for life and stand for the unborn. And so we close with this. God trusts Job to be tested this way. God knows Job. And God knows you and me. And so my last point is, the tests of life are evidence of God's confidence in us to pass them. Now, we, people used to say, doesn't the Bible say he won't give you more than he can handle? The Bible does not say that. <laughs> it says he won't let you be tempted beyond you, what you're able. But God will give you things beyond what you're able, but he'll never give you something beyond what he is able to overcome. God will not give us more than he can bear, in which he can bear everything. And so look at it this way. When, if you're going through a test or a trial or a tribulation, God believes in you. You're his child. He has confidence in you that you're gonna pass this test. And he's a good, good father. And if you fail the test, he'll let you take it again. And so I, try to think about that when you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a trial. God has confidence in you. He would not have allowed this to happen. He, he probably hasn't caused it. It's probably the devil or, or, you know, we're living in this fallen world, as Ronnie said, or it may be a person being used by the enemy, but God has allowed it because he knows what you can handle. And he's gonna stretch us. He's, he's like that track coach that made me run races I did not want to run. God will take, because, I, because we need to learn endurance, patient endurance, especially for the end times. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible story in our Bible. God, I, I thank you for your servant, Job, a, a man we're gonna meet someday. Lord, and, and just be amazed at what he has done. God, thank you that his life is on display so that we can learn. God, if nothing else, may we just revel in your love. We just receive it, embrace it. We know we don't deserve it, but that's why it's love. And Lord, I pray that we would love you back and we'd love others. And we'd even, as the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us have a hard time loving. We can love everyone else but ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we study this book, you will take us deeper in our faith to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen.